0: Scan up Nation, one of my favorite things about the Rising Tide Mastermind is a session that we do called a full cup. And a full cup is where we bring a tip or a trick to each other that can really help improve our regular day-to-day. And a few months back, Eric Russo, member of the Mastermind, and has been on the podcast several times, he brought to us the Rocket Book. Folks, the Rocketbook is amazing. The Rocketbook allows you to take notes just like you would on any other notebook, but it has a scanning feature that turns what you write into searchable text. It makes your notes able for you to find. This was a game changer for me and I know it can be a game changer for you we have an affiliate deal worked out with the Rocketbook folks. So you can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash Rocketbook and you can receive 15% off your first order of $20 or more. Hello, scale It Up Nation, Trace Blackmore here, the host of Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. And Nation, this is the fourth quarter. I know a lot of us are just killing it, and we have been the entire year, but there's some others of us that maybe need a little push. Well, it's my hope that all the lessons that you've learned throughout this year, you're learning how you work. And you're assessing how do you do things better? How do you continuously improve yourself, not just because you want to, but because of the lessons that life is teaching you? I remember somebody was very discouraged a couple of years ago because they did not accomplish the goals that they wanted to accomplish. And within the Rising Tide Mastermind, something that I really enjoy doing is we get to do one-to-ones with each other. We talk about our personal goals and how we can get each other motivated. And maybe we can share something that the other person just can't see that's going on. And when we can bring light to that, that unlocks the potential of that person getting whatever they're trying to get done, done to. And with that, this specific individual was really down on themselves because they did not achieve several of the goals that they had set out for that year. Well, we started evaluating all the things that went on during that year. And folks, it was things like they had a new child. They moved. They had in-laws that they had to move and their spouse was in school. So, all these things were going on, and that was information that maybe they knew a little bit of, but they didn't know all of it until it actually happened. Well, folks, it's okay to realign your goals when you learn new information, but I think a lot of us, what we don't do is we anticipate life actually happening, or we just say we want to get this one thing done and we don't look at what's going on in our lives right now and what's going to happen in our lives in the immediate future to make sure we're setting ourselves up for success. Now, I asked this individual, knowing those things that you endured and successfully got done during the year, would you have achieved or even attempted to do these other goals? And the answer was a resounding, absolutely not. Well, then I asked this person, how many of these things did you know were going on when you made these other goals? And pretty much all of them. And that was the point I wanted to make on that coaching session that we have to take all the information that we have available to us to achieve those goals, to make sure that those goals are even realistic. Now, sometimes we've got to push through knowing that if we do something that's uncomfortable, that's not going with the grain of our life, but if we just do it a little bit and get it achieved it now alleviates all this other pressure. And that's really the only way that we get back time when we can do things like that. My friend Rory Vaden calls that a multiplier. So if we can find a multiplier in our life that we can suffer through for a little bit to know that we can get that back later, that's a different story. But the point of this is, is make sure that when you are making your goals, that they do align with all the things that are going on in your life. Now, let's say they don't. Is it still an important goal? And if you want to get it done, does it make sense to wait until it aligns with things that are going on with your life? And sometimes the answer is going to be no, you just got to get that done. Other times, you can say, once these things are off my plate, it's going to free up time and allow me to focus And that's just one part of the equation. The other thing is it's going to put you in the right mindset. So don't just put things off for the sake of putting things off. And if you're putting things off because your day-to-day is too busy, that's a totally different conversation. Because your day-to-day is never going to get any better unless you start making changes, unless you work on the outside of what you consider comfortable. And if you're there, your day-to-day will continuously get better. But if you're not doing things because you are staying in the day-to-day, that's what I want you to consider. Nation, I've talked about the 5-Minute Journal before on this podcast, but it's been a while. This is a tool that I recommend to a lot of people. It's a tool that I use. It's a tool that my wife uses. It is called the 5-Minute Journal because it won't even take you five minutes to complete it. What it is, it's three questions that you ask yourself in the morning before you put your feet on the floor getting out of bed And then it's two questions that you ask yourself right before you go to bed. It's amazing how that helps train your mind to filter out all the clutter and focus on what's important to you. You combine that with goal setting and nation, you will be Unstoppable. I've got an affiliate link to the five minute journal. You can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash journal and get yourself a copy of that. Back when we were all on the lockdown during the pandemic, the five minute journal is something that really allowed me to focus on what's important. When everything that we knew was changing last year, It allowed me to make sure that I was doing the things that I needed to do. And with all the negative information that was out there, it really helped me use my brain as a filter. So I was working on the things that had direct impact for me and the people that I care about. And I was filtering out all the rest of the noise. I would not have been able to do that because my mind would not have been tuned to do such if it weren't for the five minute journal. Again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash journal. Scaling Up Nation, as many of you know, I was the president of the Association of Water Technologies several years ago. And many times during my eight year stint on the board of directors, members would come to either me or the board of directors and say, I'm having problems finding people. But even more so, people were saying they didn't understand why they weren't attracting younger people to their companies, how to do that. And the association, I think, does what they can to help with that. But today we're going to talk to an expert on that topic. So here's that interview. Scale Up Nation. My lab partner today is I, Addison Jung, but we're going to call her Doctor I. And I'm so excited to talk with you, Doctor I, today. There, there's so many things that you know and that are broken in the education system. Things that. People like myself as business owners need to know uh, about communicating with younger people. And we're just going to cover all of that. But before we do, do you mind telling the nation a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, of course. So first of all, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. And I'm looking forward to it. And I am a professor turned entrepreneur. I got my master from Syracuse. I got my PhD from University of Maryland and I was teaching in higher education for 10 plus years. And finally, I came to the sad conclusion that the current education model is no longer serving the next generation to help them become career-ready and life-ready. So I asked myself an audacious question, do I want to be part of the problem to continue to perpetuate this broken education model Or do I want to be part of the solution? So I decided to be part of the solution. And as a result of that, I resigned from my very comfortable, well-paid college professor job and started running my own company. And uh, so nowadays, I, I, I offer different educational programs at my own company. And I mainly work with teenagers and young adults to really help them develop confidence, and motivation, and also gain real-life skills so that they can be future-ready and career-ready and life-ready. So that's kind of what I do, and my work has been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, Today Show, Pearson Education, and a number of other places.
0: It's really impressive, all the work that, that you're doing, and uh, the company's Classroom Without Walls. And I, I want to talk to you as a business owner first. And actually, before that, let's even jump back a little bit further. As an entrepreneur, because I know how scary it is to leave a paying job, a comfortable job, and then start something from scratch where you have nothing. How did you make that leap?
1: It is a, a very scary decision. I think the biggest part was an identity change because for my entire life, I spent my entire life in education and I only had one identity, which is a teacher, right, a college professor. So when I decided to resign from that position, I was also resigning from that identity. So it was really hard for me to understand, okay, I'm saying goodbye to that old identity. Like, who am I? Like, who is this new person that I'm becoming to? I have no idea. I really had no idea. So that mental transition is very, very hard. So before I resigned from my job, I was actually already building my personal brand. I was really active on Twitter. And in 2017, I actually started my very first live streaming show. And I was still a college professor at the time. But I realized that I couldn't really serve my students that well, because the only thing I had was degree. Like I have so many degrees, but you know what I don't have? real life experience, but that is what our students need in order to learn, to grow, to become a professional. So realizing what I couldn't do in the classroom and I started my very first live streaming show and uh, it is actually called Classroom Without Walls. It was really my intention to use social media as a way to bridge the gap between classroom learning and a real-life application. And on my show, I was teaching social media, public relations, and communication classes. So on my show, I interviewed Seth Golden, Guy Kawasaki, Mark Schaefer, and uh, so many amazing, amazing, incredible entrepreneurs business people to come to my online classroom, my live streaming show, to have a conversation with my students. That was an eye-opening experience for the students because surprisingly, the younger generation, even though they grow up with technology, they don't know how to use social media the way that you and I are using social media. We use social media to create, to serve us, but most young people are allowing social media to use them. It is very different. So it was an eye-opening experience for my students. So I, wow, you can do that with live streaming. I can interview people. And so not only did my teaching improve as a result of me building a personal brand, at the same time, uh, my personal brand started to generate some income for me. And speaking gigs and consulting and different things. I was like, wow, that was really interesting. So that also gave me some faith in my resignation knowing that actually seeing some cash flow not a lot a little bit cash flow i was like wow i can actually make some money based on my personal brand outside the classroom so that has given me lots of hope so it's not just like you know i'd like cold turkey saying goodbye to my job but there was still lots of fear because the money i was making through my personal brand was definitely not enough as how much i was making as a college professor but I realized that, you know, I, we also homeschool our kids. They don't go to school. So with teaching position and doing research, running my side hustle and trying to be a mom, it's time to say I have to cut, right? I, I just cannot do all of them. So it was a hard time to make a choice. So I decided to to try this and to you know have some faith in myself. So I resigned, having some cash flow, but not a lot and it is really the best decision i have ever made in my life and uh i i'm i'm really happy yeah now i ask myself why didn't i do this earlier
0: question so. we probably all ask ourselves but uh but what's the proverb the uh, best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago the second best time is today
1: yeah i love that yeah
0: so i want to ask there is a student out there that is listening and they're thinking, I'm not getting everything that I should be getting to prepare myself for after school, for real life. How do you make that connection?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I have that. I get that question all the time. The things that I feel like very few students are actually developing essential life skills. Research has shown that GPA grade point average is actually inversely related to innovation. And if you ask any business owners and uh, innovation is a very important quality that we're looking for in our students, but the entire school system is telling us what truly matters is our children's academic performance. Look at their GPA, look at their grade, but grade is inversely related to, uh, to innovation. In other words, the higher the GPA, the less likely that a kid is to innovate. And one of my favorite books is titled "A Students Work for C Students, B Students Work for the Government." My and I have so many studies like that. Just <laughs> recently, I read uh, another study that came out last year. So a group of researchers they are trying to understand and trying to investigate our children's. A curiosity, because Albert Einstein has said that, you know, I'm not smart. I'm just very curious. I stay with problems longer. right? So curiosity is a very important thing. And uh, they studied how curious our children are. And when the kids were five years old, yeah, they asked on average 107 questions per hour. Okay, five years old, we're talking about American kids. And uh, by the time children become middle school and high school students, they stopped asking questions. So on average, per two-hour period, they ask about two to three questions. So you really have to ask yourself from 107 questions per hour to two questions per two-hour period. What's really happened? What happened is that they got more educated and they are being told by their teachers, by the school system to shut up to listen, they, they did way too many multiple choices, right? There's only one, one question, there's only one answer. Don't ask, don't question, obey. So if you're a really good student, you know, coming out of the traditional system, you are very good at following instructions, you are very obedient. But my challenge, the thing that I'm trying to disrupt is that, is that what we need in the 21st century? The answer is no. So to answer your question, I feel like all the kids coming out of this system needs to go through some additional training to develop some essential life skills. And I think the easiest way that they can do this is that every student should launch a live streaming show or a podcast. I say for example, if I'm a doctor, I want to become a doctor. I don't even know this is good for me or not. And in fact, there's another study saying that almost 50% of millennials regretted about the major that they chose when they were a student. And I definitely had the same regret. Because the things that students spend their entire life in a very artificial environment listening to the teacher telling them 9am, you are taking a language class. 10 a.m is time to use the bathroom. 11 a.m. is time to do physical education. When you do that, after 10 plus years, you lose your ability and agency to think on your own behalf. So I highly recommend that every kid, you know, especially graduating from high school and college, start a live streaming show. If you want to become a doctor, can you use LinkedIn? you know, which I call digital networking, to practice digital networking, to identify a few doctors and to interview those people on your own live streaming show or on your podcast to first of all, practice your communication skills because so few students actually know how to communicate. And a Harvard study actually suggested 85% of a person's career achievement actually comes from soft skills. Uh, Only 15 comes from hard skills. So start a live streaming podcast, interview people, put yourself on camera to see how good you are at listening, articulating yourself, asking questions on the spot. And also when you do an interview with those professionals, you can really test, Is doctor good for me? What is a typical day like for them? Do I really want to do this? That can save you so much time and so much money. If you discover, wow, that's not what I want. Because I heard from so many kids, they wanted to become a lawyer, a doctor, or PR person because of sex and City, whatever show they watched, right? And they feel like, oh, wow, I watched an episode of sex and City. And Samantha is a PR professional. I want to be like her. Therefore, I'm choosing a major. And that is the worst way to select a future, right? (laughs) So do an interview with real-life PR practitioners. Do an interview with real-life doctors to see their real life, right? So that is something I would tell to the young people.
0: Now, I can just see a young person is hearing this today. And they're thinking, that doctor's never going to come on my show if I ask him.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. And I think many young people have that fear. On the other hand, and I want you know, every young person to understand, leverage the fact that you are a student. And I tell my students all the time, everyone has a soft spot in their heart for the next generation right? If you are like 40 years old, like myself, trying to get go Golden, all those people on my show, people be like, who are you? They will be thinking about it. But if you say, I'm only uh, 17, I'm trying to figure out my life. Do you have 30 minutes to have a quick interview with me? I would really great appreciate you. 80%, if not 90% of people, will say yes. And uh, like just myself, as an example, I get podcast requests all the time. I never rejected a kid. Like I'm like, I'm actually going above and beyond. Like after the podcast is over, I was like, yeah, tell me more about your life. How can I help you, right? So I think most people are willing to serve, to give to the next generation. So leverage that card. When you're a student, you really have nothing to lose and play that card. You know, I'm a student. I don't have anything. Can you please help me and try that?
0: Dr. I, this podcast serves the industrial water treatment industry, and it is an aging industry, which means a lot of people are getting ready to turn their companies over to a younger generation. And we have a systemic problem where it's an industry where unless you know about it, unless somebody tells you about it. People just don't know about it as a career option. What advice do you have for our listeners today to make sure that we're getting the right message? And how do we get that message to the next generation?
1: I mean, this is an amazing question. I personally really don't know much about your industry. When you reach out to me, I was like, I don't think I could be a good guy. I, I really know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think many people have that question. And I think as a business owner, it is our job to do Storytelling and the story selling, right? So, if you are just treating this as um, I'm doing a business presentation, this is our mission, this is our vision, blah, 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 most people will fall asleep, especially the younger generation. Those are the people who watch TikTok videos. You know, every TikTok video is like 30 seconds. 50 seconds, so very short attention span, right? So, you know, to to really get those people's attention, you have to speak their language, which is storytelling and the story selling. So what are some stories that you can share with us about your business, right? So what I learned as a college professor, when I was trying to engage with my students, I was like, you know what? I realized that as a professor for so many years, I was talking at this level. That is not working. And my students are at this level. I need to go to their level and speak their language, which is social media, right? I really need to use social media to connect with my social media. We use emoji. We use everything that the way that my students talk is how I talk. And then we connect it, right? So like one thing that you guys can do is storytelling and story selling, right? Just tell me stories. I, I don't know if many people in your industry are actually on Instagram, are actually on TikTok. Those are the places where young people actually congregate and you need to go where they are. As opposed to be like, you know, I'm here, come, come, come. They are never going to come to where you are. You have to learn to study them to learn about their language, to go to where they are and practice the way they are telling stories, they're consuming content, and you will get their attention, I guarantee you. And second way is to do influencer marketing. It is so amazing, so powerful, right? If you can identify, it is very hard to find 1,000 people who are really passionate about what you do, but it is not that hard to find one single person. So if you can find one person who has a relatively large following on social media, I'm not even talking about millions, like even 50K, 100K, 20K, they're they're good, right? So share with those a few influencers and ask them, leverage their platform to spread your message, to spread your story and to engage with the the younger generation.
0: So now we found a person, they said, hey, this really sounds interesting. I wanna interview for the job. And now I take them through our interview process to see if they're eligible to come work for our company. Is this the same interview that I would give a 45-year-old or does it need to be tailored for somebody coming right out of school? 100%
1: 100% has to be tailored, right? Otherwise they would be like, what are you even talking about, right? So it has definitely to be tailored. And maybe you guys can even hire some people who are social media savvy. They, they're good at creating content and they can start sharing what you guys are doing, you know, behind the stage, show us some really cool stuff. Like one of my friends has a, a chocolate shop so every day he was using Snapchat to show us how he was making the chocolate because very few brands actually do that. And we're like, wow, that is so interesting. And young people love that, right? So traditionally we have B2B, business to business, B2C, business to customers. But the new age is H2H, right? Human to human. And we want to connect with you at a human level. And the best way to connect with each other at a human level is through storytelling, through storytelling, through leveraging social media. And this is something that young people are really passionate about, right? So definitely tailor the interview and connect with them at things that they are passionate about, they are really good at.
0: I'm sure there's somebody listening out there that says, isn't it their responsibility for them to shift how the business owner is thinking, or how the person that's conducting the interview is thinking, instead of vice versa.
1: I think a uh, great question. I think it really depends on the field. In my field, right, there are we have hundreds of millions of applicants. I don't even have enough time to go through every single application, right? So in that case, you can probably wait and for the students to kind of figure you out and connect with you where you are. But if you are on the other stream and on the other spectrum, and uh, I think we need to figure out if I'm struggling receiving applications, people are not even interested in what I'm doing. Like, I'm just, I have been standing here and shouting, hey, look at me, but nobody's paying attention. If that is the case, I think it is time that you spend some time and energy to study your audience, to see how you can connect with them better. So it depends.
0: I think that's a great answer. If you're not getting the results you want, you need to change, right?
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: What are some of the things that you're doing to prepare your students to go out in the workforce?
1: So besides you know, like really learning how they can use social media to practice digital networking, which has been really powerful for all of my students and also learn how they can use social media to do more content creation as opposed to being a passive consumer. As what I mentioned earlier, most children, kids, are allowing social media to use them as opposed to they are using social media to serve their own career needs. Very few kids are actually doing that. So that is uh, another way. And another big segment, and I really um, focus on a lot at my school, is to really help our students develop essential life skills. Like, you know, Adobe, there's a uh, a recent Adobe study came out and they scanned millions of job postings, resumes, and trying to uh, discover what are the factors that matter the most when it comes to you know finding good jobs, working for a company, and they discover the five C, which include communication, collaboration, creativity, critical thinking, and creative problem solving. So those are the skills that I prepare. It is one thing that you do an exam. Hey, what are the five elements of communication? What is the definition of nonverbal communication? It is one thing to understand that it is totally different to apply that. So I do a number of different projects with my students to really help them not only understand, but actually apply and to develop those essential soft and life skills. And another component that I prepare my students is to really work on their mind. And uh, after you know being a traditional student for so many years, and our students have lots of self-limiting beliefs, and I think even us, I had lots of self-limiting beliefs before I started my business, and I still have some nowadays, right? Because as you grow, you start to dream bigger. You will continue to grow those self-limiting beliefs. So we talk a lot about how to rewire our brain. Then our, my students understand actually human beings on, on a daily basis, we have 60,000 thoughts on a daily basis. And I think of them is actually negative. So we have so many thoughts, and a large percentage of them is actually negative. And every single day, we think the exact same thoughts as yesterday. So to understand that, and uh, we, uh, I taught my students quite a number of techniques that they can apply to rewire their brain which is really, really powerful. And uh, one of my favorite quotes from uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, I really love his work, is our personality creates our personal reality. And our personality is made of how we think, how we act, and how we feel. So I work with my students on the thinking level a lot, You know, starting with their thought. And uh, we do journaling, positive affirmation, scripting, and a number of exercises and techniques to really help them grow and build that resilience. And so that they're ready to face whatever challenges the life is going to threaten.
0: What's one way a business owner or an interviewer can test to make sure they have some of those qualities?
1: I think it's too, like, you know, people are doing this type of interview, like, is it called behavioral interviews and, you know, give your scenario, give you the case, like a situation and like see how they are acting. And I think that is, you know, give them a real life project, a real life puzzle. I know many of my friends who are in the entrepreneurship space, they will be asking to give them a real business problem. Can you actually solve this? You know, if you are uh, in business major, I you know here is this idea. Can you kind of share with me how can we bring this from ideation to a profitable business, right? Like, what are your ideas? I definitely see the trend, which is more based on hiring, based on skills, as opposed to be based on degrees. So traditionally, people are only looking at that piece of paper. You are telling me the tell me economy. You are telling me right? you have a major in physics, in engineer, whatever. But that is over. So right now, it is the show me economy. Don't just tell me how good you are. Don't tell me what degrees you have. Can you actually show me, right? So show me what you have created as a result of that piece of paper. So more and more companies are hiring based on skills, not just based on piece of papers. I think anyone running an organization, we need to transcend beyond that piece of paper. I have worked with people, graduate from Ivy League schools, but they still are just like, no, I, you can't do this job. At the same time, I have hired people who don't even have a degree, but they're so good, right? And I interview entrepreneurs and uh, Shay Roo Bottom. I don't know if you know her. She's a really big name on LinkedIn and she has her own uh company. She does lots of video production, filming, and she shared on my on my podcast saying that at her company, they prefer to hire students who are actually self-taught as opposed to students who graduate from school who have that piece of paper. Because self-starters, they know how to learn and they can figure things out and their knowledge is more updated than traditional students who just come out of school with that piece of paper, but no real life experience. So anyone interviewing students should really give them, create real life problems, scenarios to see how they're handling, as opposed to the traditional interviews. I don't even think you can get much out of those traditional interview questions anymore.
0: What motivates these individuals? So for the longest time, people thought, hey, throw more money at people and that's gonna get them excited. What are they looking for?
1: I think, you know, uh, I love this book from Daniel Pink. He, like, drive. He talks about purpose, autonomy, and mastery. Those are the three factors to motivate anyone. You know, those are, we homeschool our children, and those are the three factors that I apply to my own homeschooling journey, right? And the number one is, like, purpose. So for any organization, because the drive has to come from inside, right? And that's why... There was a study that came out last year from Yale University talking about how 85% of U.S. high school students hate their school, like literally hate their school, 85%, right? And because they don't have that sense of purpose and and also they don't have autonomy and they're probably being forced to learn something that they have no idea, right? You have to learn this physics, like why? They don't have that sense of purpose. When they don't have that purpose they don't have that drive so if you really want to motivate young people or anyone i feel like especially the younger generation when they choose an organization they want to be a part of your mission they want to be a part of your vision they want to know why am i doing this how is doing this contributing to the bigger vision right i think there are like lots of local companies there they're like have a bigger cause right? Like for me, the people that I'm hiring to work for me at Classroom Without Wars, and they know my mission. I was like, the job you are doing is so important. We are disrupting education. We are creating a new education model. We are re-educating the next generation. And they're like, wow, I'm part of this big picture. That motivates them. And definitely not money. And so much research has shown that, you know, Monetary reward is good for manual labor. Uh, You know, if you move 10 bags from here to here, I will give you $5. If you can do 20 bags, I'll give you $20. For for manual labor, monetary reward works. But if you are asking people to be curious, to to innovate, to do intellectual work, a monetary reward can actually hurt people. It prevents them from taking risks. So don't do that, but actually share the purpose. Share, like, make them feel like, wow, we are a movement. That's what I tell my people. We are a movement. The the classroom without walls is a movement, and you are part of this movement. And that, I discovered, is really good at motivating young people.
0: I give a lot of my credit to being successful in this industry to people that have taken the time to teach me things, my mentors. And... I went out and I saw somebody that had knowledge that I didn't have, that I wanted, and I asked them, would you mentor me? And nine times out of 10, they all said yes. How do you motivate younger people to get the courage and to have that first conversation to ask to be mentored?
1: Oh, great question. I think the reason that many young people are not doing that is fear, fear of rejection. Again, that I think is a result of the current education model. Because when you're a student, right, you're so afraid of losing a point. You're so afraid of not earning that A, right? Because your teachers are asking you, your parents are asking. You feel like, wow, getting that grade is so, so, so important. If I miss a point, first off, you get that mark, right? Cross red mark. And that hurts you, right? It hurts you like identity, like, oh my God, I got the question wrong. So I think we need you from the school model to help eliminate that fear, fear of making a mistake. Fear of rejection and to re engineer our curriculum in a way to celebrate failures, to celebrate mistakes. You know, again, Albert Einstein, he said that if you have never made a mistake in your life, it means that you have never tried anything new, right? I love that quote. So that is what I share with my students. Like, actually, in my coaching sessions, I actually have a planner. It's like, What is the mistake that you made today? And we celebrate. Wow, congratulations, you made a mistake. God, what did you try? And what lessons did you learn as a result of this mistake? The only mistake in life is one that you haven't learned a lesson from. If you have learned something from that mistake, it is not a mistake, right? So we rephrase and failure or fail as first attempt in learning. And I think we need to instill that into all of our children. So once we eliminate that fear of being rejection, of being told, no, who you are, and more and more young people are willing to talk to strangers, to open up, knowing that they might be rejected.
0: Let's flip that question around. We have many listeners today that have so much knowledge in their heads. How do we encourage them and how do we explain the benefits of them becoming a mentor to a mentee?
1: Oh, definitely. And I learned so much, even from my own kids. I'm learning from my own biological children on a daily basis. They are only six and ten. And uh, like when I coach my students, I'm always learning something. Today, The other day, one of my students, she's only 14, and she told me something about TikTok. I was like, wow, that is so cool. I had no idea. And I I think for, you know, to encourage people of our generation and to, to entice them to become mentors and coaches is to really push them to put themselves out there, right? Build a personal brand, especially on LinkedIn. I really love LinkedIn. And start putting yourself out there and start sharing what you have learned. And once you do that, you are going to attract some people, right? Especially if you are using the relevant hashtags, you are going to attract some young people and they will be commenting, oh, wow, that is a great point. I never realized that before. Right. So first step, I think you really have to put yourself out there and make yourself available and uh, so more young people can reach out to you. Once you have a taste of that, it will be like, wow, we can learn from each other, right? So what we say at Classroom Without Wars is that we are both teachers and students at the same time. I'm now the sage on the stage. I'm a guide on the side. So we embrace that, you know, we're both teachers and students at the same time.
0: I love that. You are absolutely crushing LinkedIn. What are your top tips for somebody to do on LinkedIn?
1: I'm actually speaking on LinkedIn Friday, so I'm super excited for speaking it. And I love LinkedIn, you know, business-wise, LinkedIn has generated so much money for me. I'm really, really thankful. So in my case, what really benefited my business is that my live streaming content, I go live on LinkedIn. So I have been uh, live streaming on LinkedIn for two years. So when LinkedIn just launched their live streaming and I got it. And uh, so that has helped me a lot. I think the video is the future. I, that's what I tell everyone. If, if you can embrace incorporated video, you know, going back to that H2H, So if you can incorporate video into your marketing, branding, business, make a huge difference. And even for young people, it is a great way to show your communication skills. And so embrace video. And if you can embrace live streaming, that's even better. And showing up consistently, showing up consistently make a big difference. And another piece of uh, advice, which is what I learned from my journey on LinkedIn, is I feel like most people's uh, LinkedIn content is not that good. It's very canned. And I think if you want to really leverage social media, you have to show up as a thought leader, right? Like to stand for something or stand against something. What is your message? What is your story? If you use social media to run a business, you should stop thinking the more hearts, the more likes I get on my post, the more money I'm going to make. There's no correlation between how many hearts you get on a post versus how much money you are going to make. And some of my posts, I really generated leads and clients, like they don't even get that much traction, but the right people are reading my posts. So are you using your post to attract the right people? I feel like many people are not doing that. You really have to improve your messaging. Like My messaging is very clear. It's not for everyone. Very disruptive. I talk about the broken education model a lot. So most parents, they resonate with my message. Are those people who see education is broken? They have to supplement their children's education outside the classroom and when they see my message it is validating to them oh wow the study is saying that the importance of college education has decreased 50 percent oh my god that's what i have been thinking validates them like wow i need to check out this lady and i can't tell you how many people check me out that way because like I am speaking my message, I'm speaking, I'm standing for something that I truly believe. It's not I'm lying, I truly believe the education model is broken.
0: We covered a lot of territory today. If you could only drive home one message to our audience, what do you want that message to be?
1: So I want to share this quote. When the flower is not blooming, we fix the environment, not the flower. And to me, when I look at that code, the flower represents our students and the environment is the classroom. So oftentimes when our children are not performing well, my own kids, I do this sometimes, I'm guilty of this myself, Uh, we'll be yelling at the kids, we'll be labeling, right? ADHD, what's wrong with you? But instead we need to pause and reflect on the environment and fix the environment so that the flower can continue to grow. I guess this can also be applied to a business environment, right? When our employees are not doing their optimal performance, instead of, you know, fire them or say something about them or give them a a mean evaluation, what can we change about the environment to foster our employees to grow, to thrive? So that's kind of a quote I really love.
0: I love it too. That's great imagery. Well, I'm almost out of questions. So I'm going to transition to our lightning round questions. So these are the same questions I'll ask of all of my guests. So the first question is, if you could go back in time and speak to yourself on your first day starting your business, what advice would you give yourself from now?
1: Believe in yourself. I doubted myself so much. Imposter syndrome big time. I wasn't confident because you know, in my story is that I spent my entire life as a a teacher. I never started business before. So I I question myself so much. Believe in yourself. You can do this. If not you, who?
0: I love that. If if not you, who? We are always our worst critics. Why is that?
1: Exactly. I mean, psychology has a theory. It's like selection bias. So which means that for all the things that are going great, we human beings, we have that tendency to only pay attention to the things that are not going well. So it is that selection bias. We all have that. Yeah. We pay more attention to negativity. That's why, you know, when you look at news, I, I stopped reading news because there's really nothing positive, right? So people love that type of stories. And for us, the same thing. We pay attention to the negativity in our life and we remember that.
0: You mentioned a couple books already, but what are some books that you would recommend if people want to read to learn more about the topics we've discussed?
1: I mean, I, I'm such a big fan of Seth Golden. and my favorite book from him is actually uh, one of his earlier books called The Purple Cow, The Animal Cow. And then that book really inspired me to be different, right? Like, you know, when you look at a group of calls, the one that is standing out is actually a different color, not black and gray, but a different color. So can you be that different color in your industry? I'm the different color in a very old industry. And I was afraid of that in the beginning, but now I have fully embraced that and my business has grown so much. So yeah, be the purple color call.
0: My last question, you now have the ability to talk to anybody throughout history. Who to be with and why?
1: Mm, Oh, wow. That's a great question. Because since we are just talking about, oh, I know, I was about to say Seth Golden, but I actually interviewed him. So I kind of already had a conversation with him. Do you know Sir Ken Robbins? I don't think I do. He is the most amazing person in the history of education and his TED Talk, do schools Q: Creativity is the number one watched TED Talk, Sir Ken Robbins, and I love him. Unfortunately, he passed away this year or last year. He passed away last year. So if I could, I would love to have a conversation with him. He talked about so many problems in education and I have learned so much from him. So if I could, I would love to have lunch with him.
0: Dr. you mentioned your podcast. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So it is called uh, What Is School For? And uh, we also go live on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Amazon. I have just become an Amazon influencer. So I'm really excited. And it is called What Is School For? Inspired by my interview with Seth Golden. So the goal of the show is to discuss, debate, and disrupt education so that we can future-proof the next generation. I go live every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time or 12 uh, Eastern time. And actually this Friday, I'm going to interview a high school dropout, 20 years old, drop, uh, dropped out of school, started his business. And just this year, you know, right now, September, his business has crossed 500K in revenue. So he's coming to my show, sharing his journey, why he dropped out of school, how he's learning outside the classroom, and how he's starting his business. Incredible story. So I'm really excited. You know, anyone interested, check it out, live or replay.
0: Well, Doctor, I want to thank you for coming on Scaling Up H2O and sharing so much information with us today.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: What an info-packed interview. I took so many notes during that interview. You know, some of the things that really stood out to me was how content is used online. And a lot of younger people, they just consume content. And I think that's the disconnect with the older generation where they just see that consumption and they don't see what value it brings. Well, Dr. I I think summed it up perfectly. When we think of social media, the content that we're putting out and again, we're not consuming it, we're now adding to it, we're putting it out under the mindset that we are serving others. Maybe we're serving our industry, maybe we're serving a specific group of people, maybe we're just serving our company. Whatever it is, is the content serving And then hopefully other people will consume that and they will use that information, that content to actually act on something. In our case, hopefully it's acting on learning about the water treatment industry as a potential career and that enables them to act further on learning more about industrial water treatment. So maybe you should look at what you're putting out on your social media and if you're getting the right results, then by all means, don't change anything. But if you're not getting the results that you want to get, that's life telling you that you need to change something. And maybe this is what you need to change. Scaling Up Nation, I'm also curious if you're going to change some of your interview questions depending on who you're interviewing wasn't that great it's not just we're interviewing it's one human interviewing another what is that going to do for you in your interview process how are you going to tailor that so you can check out those soft skills so you can make sure that they're bringing to your company a lot more than just a piece of paper that they can think out of the box they can critically think and they can add that missing element that you are looking for in your company. Now, a lot of water treatment companies especially, they don't interview often, and they don't interview unless they have to, which means most water treaters are very poorly practiced when it comes to conducting an interview. So I hope if you haven't practiced interviewing in a while, You re-listen to this podcast and think about what are some of the things that you can do in your process to make sure you're asking the right questions and you're getting the right information from your candidate to make sure both of you are set up for success for years to come. As I mentioned in the podcast, I owe so much to my mentors. I've had many of them on this show And Nation, I would not be where I am today and I would definitely be a lot more bruised up had it not been for the people that poured into me, the people that shared experiences, the people that gave me information, the people that I'm just able to call when I have a question. And there are so many of them out there. And as Dr. I said A lot of us, and and by the way, I'm 46 years old, and I am not too old to ask somebody to mentor me. There is always somebody out there that knows something more than I do about a particular topic. Well, Nation, if I want to learn more about that topic, what a great way to do that. Instead of just reading a book, I can now talk with somebody that's done it, that's experienced it, that's gotten a little bruised up along the way getting to where they are now. And there's just something about people that want to help other people. So if you ask the question, if you have the courage to ask somebody to help you, I almost guarantee you that that other person will say yes. And for the people that are saying yes, I want you to know what you're saying yes to, because I have the honor of mentoring several people in water treatment and business and all other aspects of life. And when you are mentoring somebody, it's not that you have to know the topic inside and out, but you do normally know the topic more than the person that asked you to mentor them. What's gonna happen is you are going to have a totally different experience because now you are the professor. You are teaching this topic. And if it's something that you want to know more about, there is no better tool out there than to change your perspective from that of a student to a teacher. And when you have to explain that to somebody else, you just have a whole different understanding of that topic. So that's one. And then two, I truly believe that our goal on this planet is to learn as much as we can, apply what we learned, but also to share What we learned? How are we going to teach other people what we learned so we can continuously get better at everything that we do? Just imagine if we all had that attitude. And innately, I truly believe we all do, but with all the things that are bombarding us in society with a lot of our culture enriching greed. It doesn't allow us to think that way. So I'm going to challenge each and every one of you to step away from that mindset for a second and think about all the things that you can get if you decide to start sharing what you know with other people. Nation, I love bringing this podcast to you, and I love that you tune in every Friday for a brand new episode. Of course, I'll be bringing you a brand new episode next Friday, so be sure to tune in to that. And I know you thought I was getting ready to forget James's Challenge, but right before we sign off, here is James's Challenge. (music)
2: Hello, Scaling Up Nation. The next James's challenge as we grow as an industrial water treatment professional, drop by drop, is. Calculate how much heat energy goes down the drain with boiler blowdown and how much it costs. Boilers use a lot of energy, by design. The more energy the boiler can transfer to the steam, the better. Of course, a boiler requires blowdown to operate which means heat energy is going down the drain. Do you know how much? Do you know the costs? Can knowing this information help demonstrate the need for better blowdown control or maximizing cycles of concentration or the concentration ratio? Be sure to share your experience on LinkedIn by tagging it with hashtag JC21 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. This is James McDonald, and I look forward to seeing what you share.
0: James, thanks for that. And Nation, if you are not caught up on James's challenge, you can go to scalinguph2o.com and look at every single challenge that James has put up. You can catch up. And by the end of the year, you will be 52 steps closer to being a better industrial water treater. Have a great week, folks. Why do we call our mastermind the rising tide mastermind? Well, I know you've heard me say before, a rising tide raises all ships. That's one of my favorite quotes because it's so true. The better we do, the better somebody else can do and vice versa. That's exactly what the rising tide mastermind is. It's our members helping other members to achieve success and to get there further and faster. To find out more about the Rising Tide Mastermind, go to ScalingUpH2O.com forward slash mastermind.